0: Good morning church. Good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 51. If you open your Bibles to Psalm 51, uh, please feel free to use table of contents. Um, we're working our way through a series of Psalms, and when Sean asked me to preach, he said, just pick your favorite Psalm, and i got to confess that this is not my favorite Psalm, <laughs> uh, but it does speak it spoke to my soul, and I'm, I'm confident in God's word that he would speak to your soul this morning. Uh, last year, kind of like a big shock when, when I heard news that hit me pretty hard is uh, the man I look up to, the man I admire, he's kind of like a mentor to me from a distance, and we've, we've actually did a whole class in, at the seminary where I am, based on his teachings and his books, and he, he taught us how to preach and like so many things, so many good things that he di- did for the Lord, for us. And in one of the webinars, I still remember, one of my classmates asked him, like, so how do you prepare your sermons? And he said, well, I, after I finished preaching Sunday morning, I... I that evening I work on if it's a text from Greek or Hebrew. I just you know, I translate my own text and and start from there and outline and all that. I was just amazed, wow, this this man knows the original languages, this can, this man can preach, this man can teach how to preach, he's a professor at a seminary, he's a pastor at one of the mega church. He said we didn't know was all the time he was actually having an affair. And when we found out, it, we were sad, we were disappointed, didn't know what to do. And here we go, brothers and sisters. We have men and women who can master languages, who can master art of preaching or teaching, but can't master their own lust. And what, what we have here is a leader, David, who is man after God's own heart. Who did some incredible things for the Lord? Great military leader, great king. But he sinned in such a way that it devastated the nation. I mean, there had some consequences for his sin. The psalm we're going to look at is what he's. His, when Nathan, the background to this psalm is he sinned, he took someone else's wife and got her pregnant. And when her husband, so when Nathan David found out that he, his, this lady that he just slept with, she's pregnant, he wanted to cover it up. So he asked his husband, Uriah, to come back and, and try to cover it up. So this Uriah turns out to be a nobleman. He doesn't go back to his home to be with his wife, but thinks that, oh, my fellow soldiers are in the war. How can I go and be with my wife? So he doesn't go. Out of desperation, David gets him killed because he wanted to cover up his sin. And one of the tragedy of the end of the chapter, we see the thing that has, David has done displeased God. And what God does is, out of his grace, he sends Nathan, the prophet, to confront David. And when Nathan confronts David of his sin, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Psalm 51 is the confession, it's the exposition of that confession. I have sinned against the Lord. What we see here is the depth of a human cry. When you are face to face with God's law, when you are face to face, knowing that you have sinned against the Lord, and see a cry of a human heart asking for forgiveness. The cry that has been fulfilled in the New Testament, in the glorious gospel that we are going to see shortly. But... Let's read the text. It's Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from, from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Before we start studying, let's, let's ask for God's help. Father, we we come before you. God, teach us. Open our eyes. Open our eyes to see, to understand. Open our hearts to receive your word. Open our ears, God. David is praying. Let, let us hear the joy and gladness of our salvation and let us understand what repentance truly is. Teach us from your word this morning, God. God, let your word come forth in power and spirit. People know you, understand you, and receive this glorious salvation. God, may we be desperate for you. God, may all of us be inspired, know you. God, may we love you. May, May we treasure you. Please speak to us. Give us your spirit, God. God, as we just sang, we trust that Jesus is here by His Spirit. We want to see that, and We come before you, ask boldly for that. We want to see that. Please speak through me. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. What I have outlined here for this time is five steps for repentance. The first step is the character of sin. David starts off having, pleading God, have mercy on me, O God. And then he says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. And then he says, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's describing his sin. Then he says, for I know my transgression. I know it. The character of sin, what it is. We, he uses three different words. Transgression, iniquity, sin. Three different words to describe what he did against God, the wickedness. In our modern day, we, we use sin as a, a kind of like a generic word, sin, but we don't use the word iniquity or transgression. David is describing his sin in three different ways. You know, we're so far removed, 3,000 years from when he wrote, so we miss the meaning of the original audience when they received, They probably would know what it means. So I want to explain what the character of sin is. First word is transgression. Blot out my transgression. It means to cross a forbidden line. David says, I've crossed the line. I've rebelled against you, God. I've I've made an intentional choice, a deliberate choice to affirm myself and to deny you. I've transgressed. The second word he uses is iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. This word... Iniquity, it's kind of like the internal disposition of our hearts. Evilness, wickedness, jealousy, anger, all the evil things that, that are just an external manifestation of what's happening in our hearts. Iniquity means bent, twistedness. It says, Wash me from my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And the third word he uses is sin. And it only gets worse. That's why it's not my favorite psalm. <laughs> sin. Just cleanse me from my sin. Sin literally means missing the mark. Here's the man or woman, he's aiming at a target and he misses the mark. And David is saying, I've missed the mark. I've missed God's mark for me. Miss the mark. If you're we, if honest, we miss our mark because we're not even aiming for it. We're not, we're not even trying to aim it for it. As my, I was talking to my wife, and she said, it seems like our sin has so blinded us, kind of like a blindfold, that we're, we're just shooting our arrows at a different spot. I know my sin requires an intentionality to think, to process, to think about my actions. How am I living in friend of God? What am I doing? We, we live in such an entertainment society. Our culture, this whole media, is just this fact to drive us to, to make us not to think. I mean, every time we feel guilt, every time we're tired, we just want to click on a video. We just want to hear something, we just want to read something. It requires an intentionality to think about our sin, to know our sin. The reason I'm laboring on this point. Is when, remember, Jesus said in Luke 7 He who is forgiven much, he is forgiven less, loves less. He who is forgiven much, forgives, loves me more. The whole idea that if you don't even realize your sin, you don't even see a need for forgiveness. Know your sin. The second point, the second step. For, to understand repentance is the consequences of sin. If the, if the first step doesn't motivate you to know, understand your sin, I hope the second would do. To know the consequences of your sin. My sin. Sin has consequences. We, we, we live in a society where we want to think that my sin doesn't affect others. My sin is just me. Whatever I do, it's just me. I want to tell you, based on the authority of God's word, that your sin has consequences. My sin has consequences, not only to my life, to my family, to my church, to my school, to my work. Everything affects with my sin. Notice David says, sin stains us. That's why he's asking us, God, to wash. Sin is always before him. He's overwhelmed by sin. He's like, sin is always before me. I can't get rid of it. I can't get rid of my sin. And he even says, God, if you discipline me, if you do, if you judge me, you will be blameless in your judgment because I deserve it. Sin has consequences. He even says, I experienced the loss of joy. He's asking God to replace the joy of salvation. And he even says he lost his ability to hear the joy and gladness, he, the sin. And he even says, I can't open my mouth, God. I can't even open my mouth. Sin is affecting his body, his mouth, his ability to listen, to think. And if, if that doesn't alarm you, says the bones that you have broken, let it rejoice. The discipline of God. There is no condemnation. I want to say that with a resounding thousand times. There is no condemnation for the child of God. But there are effects of sin. Notice when Nathan confronted David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. When Nathan came and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Listen to this. He says, Now therefore the sword shall not depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah that he tied to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and I will give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives and sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Notice what God says here. He says, He doesn't say, David, when bad things happen to you, because of your sin, I'm just going to look and observe. He doesn't say that. He says, you did this, and I'll do this. You did this, and I'll do this. Yes, God affirms that David's not going to die. His sins are forgiven. If you just read further... God says that his sins are forgiven. But there are consequences for his sin. If you only know what happened. Recently I was talking to a a surgeon. I just went to grab coffee and to study for a few hours. That didn't happen. This this surgeon is a brilliant man. He just started a conversation and he asked me what I do. And I told him I'm at the Southeastern Seminary. I'm studying to be a pastor. He's like, you're a Christian? I was like, yes. Are you a Christian? I asked him. He's like, no. And like, I asked him, why, why not? Why you don't want to be a Christian? And, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, of all the places he could have pointed me, he said, this is it, David's life. He said he cannot understand a God who would not punish David for his sins. He said, David has killed someone, he took someone else's wife, and how can God just say that you're not going to die? Where is the justice? I told him, yes, there, there is no eternal condemnation, but have you never read further? If only David knew what he did would affect the way his, his child dies. His son wants to kill David. And his children did the same crimes that he did. The kingdom got divided, never got restored back. If only he knew that what he did had consequences, he would have totally avoided it. I said, there is consequences. We talked for two hours, explained to him the gospel and the good news and how Jesus satisfies the God's justice. He doesn't want to do anything with it. Just keep on insisting. He just can't understand. But moving forward, I want to emphasize, and know there is an exception. And I've missed this in the first service. I hope you can convey there are exceptions. We cannot always put two and two together. There are exceptions. The book of Job affirms that that there are exceptions, exceptions that our sin is not always a result of what we're doing. Our, our suffering is not always a result of our sin. But this it is obvious though in this passage, based on the life of David, that sin has consequences. God hates sin. The world doesn't understand that God hates sin. But obviously God would hate sin. Why doesn't he? God justice and righteousness and wholeness demands, insists that he would hate it. Not only that, think about this with me. He hates sin because he loves us. Because he's the only one that truly understands what would sin do to us, and that's why he hates it. We have no idea what sin does to us—the sin, the, the depths of sin, its power, it, how it grips us, how it just wants to bring us down. God truly understands that, and he hates it because he loves us. The power. We just did a study on Ephesians, and in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, it talks about how Paul explains there is a spiritual realm. This wickedness, this powers, and this darkness are begging us to come down. Not only affects one part of man, it affects the whole man. His being, his will, his intentionality, every single thing. So, do, do we see that? Are we we in desperation like David asking God, like, do something? That is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so precious. Because What we see is God doesn't just forgive us. He gives us a new life. He gives us His Spirit. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is transforming us. He's in us. He's teaching us God's law. He's consecrating us to obey His law. Psalm 51, David makes a transition from talking about character of sin, the consequences of sin, and then he stops from verse 9. He doesn't talk about his sin anymore. He talks about God. In the first nine verses, you only hear God one time, and after that, you hear God five times from verse 10. to You don't talk about cleansing. He asked God to cleanse his sin. That's going to the third step of repentance. Just as David used three words to describe his sin, transgression, iniquity, sin, he uses three word pictures. Blot out my transgression, verse 1. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He's asking God to do something in his life. Three word pictures, blot out. The word blot out, literally, it means that there is a divine, it implies there is a divine record that God holds record of our goods and bads. And David is asking, blot it out, God. Like, take it out of your record. Every evil thing that I did, take it out. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash this idea of women washing clothes, not, not in the washers like we do in our day, but women washing clothes on the side of river or lake. They're beating it. That requires a vigor. Excuse me. That requires a vigor. Wash me from my sins, from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This word picture taken from a cultic life. It, Says my sin is defiling, there's uncleanness, and I want God to do something. David is appealing to two characters here. He describes God as merciful, his steadfast love, his abundant mercy, and he's also implying that God is powerful. He says, Hi no, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Basically saying, God, you do this in my life and I will be clean. I cannot clean myself up. Until you do this, I have no hope. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You do it, God, and I'll be whiter than snow. You do it. Change me. It's a cry of a human heart that realizes its sinfulness before God and urging to God, begging God to clean me, wash me, purge me. Two characters of God, David, is appealing. When I when I made reference to God's hate towards sin, we, in order for us to understand God's steadfast love towards us, we need to grasp God's hate towards sin. It's when we understand God's hate sin and the way He loves us, we can truly understand what God has did for us on our behalf. The measure of His anger against sin is the measure He used to save us. Because God didn't just compromise with sin. He didn't just say like, okay, you're fine. No, he dealt with it. He did something about it. David didn't know that. But we do. thousand years after this man wrote, God came down. When David sinned against God God sent a prophet Nathan but for us the same God doesn't send a prophet he comes down God came down the word became flesh and dwelt among us the word of, the word in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God that word came down and paul celebrates this idea of how god has redeemed us talks about in colossians says and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh god made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling and the record canceling literally means blotting out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities that put oh, that put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. David is asking God to blot out, and Paul saying Jesus has blotted out our sins on the cross. Second verse, Titus three five seven. God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. Notice the language, washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Third verse, First 1 John 1, seven. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. But David is praying here, crying out. It's the human heart that's crying out to God. God has accomplished it on the cross. I mean, the number, the number of passages can keep going. But I trust that you get an idea of what this celebration of gospel is about. This love of God also is not contingent upon our spiritual walk with God. Because God didn't send prophet Nathan to him when he was in a spiritual high, he was in the pit of sin. David did something so terrible, and he wasn't even repenting. For a whole nine months, it's just absolute quietness that I mean, I just it's hard to believe that you can do things like that sleep with someone else's wife, kill her husband, and still be quiet for a whole nine months. See the power of sin? What I want us to see is the power of God that when the word God, God's word came to him, he repented. What we have is something far more greater. Far more greater. We just sang the song on the glory of Jesus, the king that's enthroned above. When he looked at our earth, the perfect creation that God created, it wasn't like that. The sin defiled the creation. Sin defiled us, every part of our being. What he saw was brokenness, heartbreak, wars, death, sin, evil, corruption. He left the glory of heaven. The glory that he had from the Father, from beginning, everlasting, Left the glory. Paul explains this in Philippians 2. Though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God. He humbled himself. There is no human language. I, I can feel my own incompetence to even explain this, this depth of God's love that he left the throne of heaven to come to this earth. For our sake, the human language is so incompetent to even explain. It's love that he humbled himself. He came down. And what he what he found here was not even people are not even willing to obey God. They opposed him. They wanted to kill him and they did kill him. He didn't help back. It's not even one time, even at the end, right before his crucifixion, he's praying to God, like, God, is there any other way? Father, is there any other way we can do this? And we know the answer. There's nothing. They drank the last drop of God's wrath. Took it all. He didn't hold anything back. The love that pursued David is pursued us. Two thousand years ago, through Jesus Christ, he came down. And he pursued us. He pursued us not when we are perfect. We know we're not perfect. We may think that we're perfect because of our social structure, ethnicity, no matter whatever, whatever it is. He came and saved. I mean, John 1, he explains not, he saved not through the biological means, but he saved according to his own mercy and grace. So, I want to ask you this morning, I don't know each and every person here, but do you know this love? Do you actually know a God that pursues you? Do you believe it? Is that gospel penny dropped in your heart that you know no matter whatever happens, that there is a God who loves me, who pursues me, who is with me all the time? I urge you, stop whatever you're doing. You want to Cry out to this God. Cry out that have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. It is my privilege, not only my privilege, that every Christian here would affirm that. It is our privilege to tell you that there is a God who loves you. Who loves you. He gave his son. God sent Nathan the prophet. This time God sends his own son. When the fullness of time comes, God sent forth his son to redeem his people. Galatians 4 talks about it to redeem a people for himself. You know this, Lord. You know this, God. And not only David doesn't stop there, David doesn't say, like, just clean me, and then I'll be fine. He goes further. He wants more. Leads to my next point, consecration to God. David has to be clean. There's always this danger that once we are clean, that sin, that sin that's in us, might come back. So he asked God, not only clean my, clean my heart, but give me a new heart. Create, Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he doesn't just stop there. He wants more. Not just clean me, not just give me a new heart, but give me yourself. There is a danger for us when we ask for forgiveness. We want forgiveness for the sake of guilt and shame or whatever and then ask for a clean heart because we want to be presentable, good in front of others. But when we miss this of what David is asking here, we miss the whole point of repentance. It's not just for the sake of forgiveness he's asking. This whole time until here, he's one God himself. He's desperate for God. This new attitude towards God. He avoided God for nine months. Now he's coming back. God, I want you more. Do not cast me away from your presence. I want your presence. I need your presence. I need your spirit. Consecration literally means to be set apart for God, to be with God. God set his people apart from the rest of the world. Consecrate me to God. need to understand one more thing here is the boldness of David. We talk about childlike faith, but this is actually a bold faith. Up until this point, if you follow the history of people being with God or people asking for the Holy Spirit, no one had the audacity or boldness to ask for God's presence or or the Spirit, the one who is a sinner. And God created this perfect creation. It was great. Everything was fine until Adam and Eve sinned. And what happens? God drove them away from His presence. The word literally says God drove them away. We see in Genesis 6 that God's Spirit cannot strive with human heart because their intentions are evil all the time. And God brings forth judgment. The flood. You just keep tracing that history of every time when people see God, they're like, I'm undone, I'm blown I don't want you. I don't want to be close to God. You see that in the life of Israelites. Every time when a person comes who is not a priest, who is not consecrated to God, comes to the temple, comes to the tent, ark, even by accident, they're immediately dead. The whole job of priests is to protect people from not coming anywhere nearby. Saul sins, what happens? The first king, Saul the Spirit, immediately departs Saul. David is pleading for God's presence. We see the end, the story doesn't stop there. Israelites, God repeatedly wants them, do not just keep obeying my commands. Do not sin, do not sin. If you do sin, I'm gonna vomit you out of this land. Because God was in that land, God saying, I'm gonna drive you away, and that's exactly what happens. As they keep sinning and sinning and God drives them away because there was the presence of God in the midst of Israel in the tent. And God did not want people to sin and He drives them away. Then He gives us this promise through Ezekiel and through Jeremiah that one day I'll make a new covenant. You've disobeyed my old covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to give you my own heart, what David is asking here, and then I'll put my spirit in you. You would no longer ask people, but you would know my love because my heart is in you and my spirit is in you. You would know me, you would trust me, you would love me. We don't see that anywhere until we see in Luke 22 when Jesus inaugurates that new covenant. He says, This is my body, it's been given to you. Drink, eat. This is the cup, the blood that has been shed for your sins. Drink. He said, this is a new covenant that is given to you by the shedding of my own body and blood. Jesus inaugurated that covenant, and now we have access to God. The veil is thrown. Not only that, we have God in us, consecrating us, redeeming us, purifying us, day after day after day. Titus 2.14 talks about this. This idea of God purifying people for himself. It says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you catch that? A people for himself. Believer in Christ, child of God, rejoice that when the Spirit is in you and when you sin, you are not judged because Christ redeemed you. You're not dead immediately. We see that in New Testament too. When Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit, what happens? They're immediately dead. Just like that. The only reason God doesn't judge you, but He's bearing with you, He's enduring you, your sin, today, till the rest of your life, because of Jesus going through that crucifixion, Jesus was literally cut off for your sake, so that now the Spirit can be given to you freely at the Pentecost. That's what happens. That's what we see: that Spirit is given to all the believers. Spirit is just poured out upon every believer. Till today, same thing. Two thousand years later, we have God's Spirit, because Christ endured our judgment. In Revelation 21.3, we see this beautiful picture. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. To be consecrated this means no longer common. Christian, do you realize that? Do you, do you see the beauty that no matter whatever the world thinks of us, we are not common people anymore. We are set apart for God the God that created the whole universe, this glory, this majestic God, He has set us apart. We are consecrated. We talk about all the time that God is 100% for us, and it is true. Have you ever stopped and considered even or entertained this idea that are we 100% for Him? Because our walk, our pursuit of holiness requires intentionality, discipline. Requires sacrifice. It's not automatic. Yes, God is working in us. God is redeeming us. His Spirit sanctifies us, makes us new, perfects us. We partake in divine nature. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. But also, over and over again, we are urged to Practice, to pursue godliness, to pursue righteousness. Not only that, I mean before I move forward, I want to emphasize that this is, not, this is not a teaching that oh clean your mess up, then God would God would, you know, come through for you. One of my colleagues said God helps those who helps himself. But I hope I've already established that that's not the case here. God doesn't save us and Say, now, okay, I command you to live a good life. No, He gives us new life. There's a huge difference. And when we pursue that holiness, when we pursue that righteousness, what are we declaring is that, no, God has redeemed me. This external manifestation of what I'm doing, this sacrifice, is what the internal reality of my heart, just as the sin. Sin is just an external manifestation of the reality of our hearts, Same thing with holiness. What God is doing in my heart is the manifestation that's revealing to the world. In in other words, God is revealing to the world that these are my people. I've redeemed them. I've set them apart. They practice holiness. If you talk to a Muslim, he doesn't get up and think that oh, I probably should should maybe I should eat pork today or you know maybe what does pork look like? What does pig taste like? If you're not laughing, you probably need to get an idea that Muslims don't eat pig or pork. But it's their identity. It's who they are. They're not even questioning. They're not even thinking about it. And we are a people that are, should be known and marked by our holiness. It's not, it's not either or or. It's who we are. God is holy. And we partake in His divine nature, holiness this leads to my last step in repentance david doesn't stop there he goes forward he says then i will teach transgressors your ways then he says oh O oh god of my salvation my tongue will sing a lot of your righteousness Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. It's this idea of commission and celebration of the gospel. Commission. He says, God, after you do this to me, I'm going to go and teach the transgressors so they will return to you. The whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, if, if we know what sin does to us, if we know the consequences, don't you want to go tell others, like, Cut? Man or lady, you, you don't have to go that way. God has made a way for you. Isn't that automatic reaction, especially if we share Christ's spirit who showed compassion on us, who redeemed us? Is it not like automatic? I was reading Spurgeon's, one of, one of, when he said this, on how he felt about this when he preached. It says, I remember when I preached at different times in the country and sometimes hear that my whole soul has agonized over man. Every nerve of my body has been strained and I could have wept my very being out of my eyes and carried my whole frame away in a flood of tears if I could but win souls. And when I read that, I was asking, do I know anything about this? This is not dispersion. Paul said the same thing. He said, I, myself, I wish I myself be a curse from God, from Christ, so that my can my brothers can be saved. Romans 9, 9, 2. Could have wept my whole being. I could have been a curse so that others would be redeemed. Others would be saved. If I could save someone, if I can just plead with them, if I can let. No, man, you don't have to go that way. There is a way that God has made for you. Come back to it. Not only that, He says, so that sinners will return to you. Not only for their good, but also there would be a praise. There's this idea that the sinners would know our Savior. They would worship Him, they would know Him, they would worship their. Put their faith in Christ and there's more and more rejoicing and there's more joy and there's more gladness and the whole world knows the Lord. David saying, I'll do that, God. You do this to me, I'll do this. This whole idea of sacrifice, intentionality. See, the best way to illustrate this is in the life of Paul. I could not think of a better picture. At the end of his life, he says, when I finish my race, I've accomplished, I've Kept my faith. Then he says, now I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He doesn't say I'm being poured out as a food offering. He says I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Food offering, there's ashes that can be remained. Drink offering, there's nothing that's remained. I gave everything. Gave everything. Jesus gave everything to me. I gave everything. Kept my faith. I didn't hold back the ministry that God has set before me. I've kept it. And he says to Timothy, I mean he so confident that he says to Timothy that now follow my example. I did this, now follow my example. He at least says that in five times in the New Testament. Over and over follow my example, follow my pattern, follow my pattern of life. I mean he at least believed and Know that he did it, He did keep his faith, He did finish the mission that God has called him. I want you to ponder on that. Maybe one day you can call someone else, maybe your children or maybe your disciple, and say, like, "I've kept the faith. Whatever God has said before me, I've obeyed." And now you follow my example. Let's pray. Father, it is with boldness we come before you to ask you, to plead with you, to do something in our life that only you would do, God. So that the world knows that you are our God. The God who is righteous and holy and abundant, steadfast love. God, as we partake in your divine nature, God, equip us, strengthen us, teach us your ways, help us to be a benefactor to this human race, to go and to proclaim this gospel, God, to obey our mission, God. Teach us your ways. Please, please give us yourself. Please give us your spirit. God, make us new. May we pursue holiness with all our might. May we be disciplined to know your ways. May we study your word. May we meditate on your word, God. Until you do a work in our hearts, God, we confess that we are helpless. So we urge you, we plead with you to come to do a work. God, we we trust we do know that you love us because you display it for the entire world to see it on the cross. Based on that, based on that fact, based on that truth, God, we trust that you would come through for us now in this generation to bring a revival in our own hearts first, to bring a revival in this church, in this city, in this nation, and all over the earth. And may your knowledge and your glory be spread across the earth, God. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.